Now you can uh, open your Bibles to Luke 12. Uh, Luke 12 is uh, the passage that we are reading uh, this month. Um, and I've decided that I'm just going to go over this, this uh, passage and then uh, give you a few pointers from what I can take from that passage. And I uh, hope that will be encouraging to you. I think since you've been reading it, it might be familiar. Um, but I'm hoping to give it in a way that will inspire you when you read your Bible by yourself, that you would uh, look at these things and think deeper, not to just uh, merely read it since it's a reading plan, but because you would like to know more of what that is. And uh, it is worthwhile to ask the Holy Spirit to open up the passage and, and pray for that before you start reading um, so that he will help you to see more clearly. Good. Before I start with the, the passage then, um, Luke is giving here an account of the life of Jesus. Uh, now, Luke wrote this gospel for us to understand that the news of Jesus is for Jews and Gentiles alike. And uh, he's focusing on Jesus because Jesus is the one that was prophesied about in the Old Testament. And he's making it nice and clear for us. Um, now, Luke doesn't say that he is the author of Luke himself, but there's lots of evidence that point towards that. Although it is not clear who, Luke, who wrote the book of Luke, I think we can, uh, we can assume that it was him, although uh, it's not written down anywhere. Now, Luke was a physician by profession. So he was a doctor. And uh, for that, in our society... It is normally pe the people that's able to study hard, uh, the people that uh, is willing to work hard, and then doctors must be extremely accurate in what they do. They don't have leeway to make mistakes because that can maybe cause um, people their lives. Now, I think this explains why he's able to write such a good narrative of uh, this life of Jesus. And he starts from the beginning and he quickly runs through Jesus' life. So when you get to the end of the book, then uh, you have the whole life of Jesus. And he also mentions when he starts in Luke that he's going to write an accurate point or he's going to write an accurate interpretation of what happened with Jesus. He mentions that himself in the beginning when he writes the book. And I think this is uh, what we can take, that it is the point by point and he wanted to make it as accurate and to the point as possible. Now, um, Luke also wrote probably a little bit of X or he helped to write a little bit of X and uh, Luke to X tells us the story of how the gospel spread throughout the gentle the Gentile Roman Empire. His focus is the life of Jesus and his mission is to speak to the people that is not saved. Now that is what Jesus did but this is also what Luke then put together for us uh, when he wrote his part of uh, the Bible. It is to talk about that, what Jesus did, for people to be saved. Now, um, the Luke itself, it is from the announcement of the coming of, uh, his, of Jesus until the ascension and uh, everything after that. So if I can put that in uh, uh, quickly in some broad characteristics, it would be the miracles of Jesus' power he will talk about the wisdom of the teachings of Jesus. He's uh, going to mention the conflicts uh, and the claims when Jesus was uh, walking. And then he ends off 
with the cross, which only Jesus uh, could bear. No one else was able to bear that uh, for us. The section uh, starts in Luke, where he's uh, first talking about John that's going to be born. He also talks about Jesus and uh, his birth and how that is uh, foretold. And then he continues on to the birth of John and then the birth of Jesus and a little bit that goes with that. Now, following up to, say, chapter 3, it is the preparation for the ministry where the baptism took place for Jesus, and also then soon after that, Jesus went into the wilderness where he was then tempted by the devil. Chapters 4 to 9 talks about the ministry of Jesus in Galilee, where he was rejected at first, especially by his own people. Uh, they didn't want to listen in the beginning. Then Jesus started with all the healings, the calling of the disciples, and then he started teaching the disciples and also the people with all the parables, uh, which is really helpful for us even in today's time. Now after that, chapters 9 to 19, this is where the journey to Jerusalem starts and uh, where eventually Jesus will be crucified. And now when we look at uh, Luke 12, this is where we find ourselves now, where Jesus is starting his journey to Jerusalem But what is following is for Jesus to go die on the cross. And Jesus is well aware of that. He knows about it. So when we read these passages, we can also think what Jesus probably thought is coming for the disciples, but also knowing what is laying heavily on his heart. Now, if you have a red-letter Bible, you will see that most of Luke 12 is printed in red because it is the words of Jesus. Probably the whole or most of the chapter is in red. And the the words of Jesus we know is valuable. It's the account of Luke though. But those words we can read them over and over and ponder them. Because there's value in that. And that is honey for our soul. To keep us on the path then to make it to heaven one day. Uh, Jesus is giving his followers advice on how to live in this passage. And he's using many parables to do that as well. Now, when Jesus was saying these words, he knew these words were going to be written down in the Bible. He knew that the words that he's speaking is going to be the words that the disciples, whoever's going to write the Bible for us, is going to be put in the Bible. And I think Jesus gave these words with that idea in mind for us. Um, John 3 verse 16 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. He says, whoever does not obey the Son is not going to see eternal life. And I think it's important for us to look at these passages then and to ponder and meditate on them because we know we have to be obedient to Jesus to then find eternal life. So if we look at this and we can follow this and then it's going to make life easier for us as Christians. Maybe you'll be prosecuted. Maybe it might not be that great. But if you follow the words of Jesus, then we're sure that we can make it to heaven easier. Now I'm going to divide this Luke 12 up in three sections for us. The first section is going to be the kind of attitude those who's going to face prosecution should have. Then the next part is going to be the right attitude towards your material possessions or the things that we have here on earth. And then the last part is going to be your attitude in regard to Jesus' return. And we'll see how 
in this uh, chapter, we're going to run through those three areas um, up until we end with what Jesus said we should think about in terms of his return. Now, if I can sum this sermon up in uh, one sentence, it would be the words or the advice of Jesus for us to have the right attitude when we are following him. Or how we should change our mind that we are able to follow Jesus better. And if we can do that, we will be a light unto the world, we will be an example for other people, and we're going to live our life out as Christians the way it should be. So let us uh, start then by looking at Luke 12. The first section is then the kind of attitude those who's going to face persecution should have. So I'm going to read for us there, Luke 12, verses uh, 1 to 3. You can look in your Bibles. So anyone that needs a Bible, I think we all have Bibles here today. Luke 12, verse 1 to 3. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together, that they were trampling one another, another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Now Jesus says there, Beware of the leaven to the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And uh, Luke is saying that Jesus is now primarily speaking to the disciples. Uh, the disciples are getting words from Jesus. They are getting his teachings. The Pharisees have the responsibility to know the law and to know the Bible or the parts that they had at that time very well. So they should be the educated ones. Now, leaven is a metaphor for, for the self-centered, hypocritical approach of the Pharisees in Luke. The Pharisees thought they knew best. They thought they knew the words or the laws pretty well, and they were trying to guide the people then, or to sometimes do that in a harsh way, um, to the people uh, coming to the words of the Bible. Now, leaven is there for spreading. When you work that into dough, it will very quickly spread to all the dough, and with a little bit of leaven, you can get a lot of dough or matter infected or infiltrated by that leaven. It causes a swelling, so it becomes bigger and more, and then also this, the purpose of that is to sour the meal, and I think that is what Jesus was trying to get to. When uh, the hypocrites are talking to the people in the wrong way, and that souring is happening. But it doesn't stop there. It swells, it spreads, and it can affect many areas in that, uh, that regard. Now, Jesus is warning us about the dangers of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when you think you are better than others. And it normally happens like the Pharisees when they are committed and motivated and they wanted to prove a point. And uh, hypocrisy is when you say something, but you live in a different way. And it can be evident in, in our lives as well. But what is one of the best marks of a Christian or one of the first marks of a Christian? It starts with an H. Humility. Humility. Thank you, Kulani. If you are humble, 
the way we should be humble, then hypocrisy is probably something that you will just hear about, but uh, it will not something that will be like present in your, in your life. But it is good for us to always just check our hearts to see if uh, we have that or not. But being humble is a good antidote. And if the Pharisees had that, they probably wouldn't have been the hypocrites that they were back in the day. Um, now, Jesus continued to say that nothing covered will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Now, if you're a hypocrite, then you depend on things that must happen in the dark. So you say something, but when the people are not present, you go do something in the, the background. So Jesus continued to say that the things that's done in dark will then be um, brought to the light. They talk about the housetops there. Now, the people write that back in the day, they built their houses so that they were able to meet on the top or the rooftops of the houses. And that was known as the public place or the place where everyone would get together where they will mingle and Jesus is saying that those things that's hidden in the dark will be proclaimed from the rooftops, which is the public place or where the family is gathering together, the young and the old. And it is for us uh, to check our hearts. If we have things that's hidden, it's better to bring them to the light, confess your sins, get a brother, speak to a brother, and also for us not to talk in a certain way, but to live in a different way. As a Christians, we should be someone that can be held accountable to what we say. Now, all sin will come to light. And if it's not in this world, it is going to be when we stand before the judge one day. If it doesn't come out this day, when we stand before him, everyone will be able to see um, what went on in your life and in your heart. So it's good to be honest with yourself uh, and, uh, and think about those things. Now, verse 5 it's the next little part. <coughs> he says, I, may, I call this, do not fear persecution. So he starts by saying, I say to you, my friends. Let me read verse 5 uh, for us. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now he starts in verse 4. To say, I tell you, my friends. This will probably imply that he's just still speaking to the disciples. But we know that there's a large group of people that gathered around them. And it could be that they are also hearing what Jesus is now uh, talking about. Um, <clears throat> now, hypocrites will always despise the faithful. So followers of Jesus must be ready to face persecution. If you are walking the way Jesus did or the way Jesus commands us in his word, then you might not be accepted by this world. Um, he says, do not be afraid of those who will kill the body. Now, when Jesus uh, mentioned this, he knew that probably all of his disciples, I think except for John, will die as martyrs one day. So he is busy preparing them for what is coming in the future. But he also knew about his own suffering that's going to happen on the cross. He is also saying things that he knew he is going to have to endure um, not, not long after this part. Now, um, it's possible 
that the disciples are maybe getting worried. Last month we read uh, Luke 11, and uh, Luke 11, there was opposition coming from the people. Um, and it could be that he was saying this because the disciples might be feeling some anxiety and uh, stress. Uh, and Jesus is uh, going to talk about peace uh, soon following in this passage. Now, after that, have no more than they can do. What did he say in this passage is the only thing that they can do? What is the only thing that they can do to you in that passage that Jesus is talking about? Yes, it's just to kill. And after that, there's nothing else that they can do. Now, God has the ultimate power over life and death of the believer. But... uh, Jesus is pointing to the fact that he is not only worried about what is happening here in life. If you have to lose your life in this life, then Jesus is worried about what is going to happen when you have to stand in front of God Almighty. And he says, we don't have to fear this. If you know where you are going, if you trust in Jesus, then the only fear should be the Father. And one day when you stand in front of him. Now he continues to say, Fear him who after he has killed has the power to cast in hell. And uh, if you compare what we have in this life to that of hell, which is also the lake of fire as mentioned in, uh, in Revelation, it is uh, something that has eternity in mind. We have the short life, But when we leave this earth, then we are going to go somewhere where we're going to be for eternity. So like heaven, hell is also going to be uh, eternal. No, he says, I say to you, fear him. He has that emphasis. He's making a point. He's saying this is important. Don't just think of this lightly. Now, last year, we uh, read a book about the Fox's Book of Martyrs. And that was really encouraging for me to see how people were able to not focus on the life now, but that they were willing to be tied to the stake because they knew after this life they are going to meet their father. They were not fearing the people that can only merely kill the body, but they were thinking about eternity and what that's going to be for them. Now, we also know that the world will hate you, so sometimes you will feel that things, but I think it was prevalent for the disciples who was walking with Jesus. And the, there was the opposition, and it was a real reality for them. Now going on to the next part, uh, Jesus very quickly then talks about the value that we as humans have for God. Let me read for us uh, verse 6 and uh, 7. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why? Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, for you are of more value than many sparrows. So immediately after talking about you might lose your life, he reassures the people by saying your life is worth more than the sparrows. None of them is forgotten before God. And this shows God's providential care over even the smallest detail of our lives. If you can remember the sparrows, you're surely not going to forget you who has much more value than the sparrows. And I think we can find strength in that 
Sometimes it doesn't feel like we are worth anything. But when we consider the words of Jesus, then we realize that the value that we have as humans for him is extremely precious. Now, there was a person, uh, Roland Taylor, and he was about to be executed, and they were sending him to London. And uh, he wrote a final statement in the book, and this book he presented to his son. I'm just going to read for us. He says, I say to my wife and to my children, the Lord gave you unto me, and the Lord has taken me from you and you from me. As he's about to be tied to the stake now. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I believe that they are blessed which die in the Lord. God cares for sparrows and for the hairs of our heads. I have ever found him more faithful and favorable than is any father or husband. Trust therefore in him by means of our Savior Christ's merits. And I found this uh, to be helpful to, to know that this person, he understood so clearly where his treasure was or where his heart should be, that when he was about to go be tied to the stake, he was able to write these words down, to leave that to his son, to leave that to his wife. And uh, we know that someone that trusts in Jesus like that will definitely meet with the Father in heaven and it's going to be a big uh, celebration. So do not have your trust in anything else than the only one that can save you. Now, Jesus is still on his way to the cross. Jesus hasn't died yet, but Jesus knew this was going to be the only way for people to be saved. He says, the very hairs on your head are numbered, and you are of more value than many sparrows. If you are being mocked, if you are being persecuted, for the Christ of psych, uh, Christ, then uh, it might not feel that there's worth in you as a human being. That might not be a nice time in anyone's life. Someone that's about to give up his life, that's going to the stake, is possibly passing people that's shouting and saying things from the side, and I don't think you will feel very, uh, well, worth a lot, unless you are thinking about what your life is worth in terms of what Jesus has said. And that Jesus gave us these words to hold on to that. Jesus said that whoever confesses me before men, him the son of men will confess before the angels of God. And that is something we can look forward to. If life is tough because of what you believe, think about how you will be standing in front of God, the Father Almighty, and Jesus will then have your name singing to the angels in terms that he knows you. Good, let's continue on to verse 11 to 12. Now Jesus uh, is uh, saying here that uh, we don't have to worry about what we're going to say. The Holy Spirit will help you. So if you have to stand there one day to defend your life, to defend what you believe in Christ, then we don't have to worry because the Holy Spirit will help us. I'm going to read verses 11 and 12. That's Luke 12 that we are reading, verses 11 and 12. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. 
Now, here Jesus is showing us that you might be persecuted by the Jewish uh, authorities, or at least brought before them, maybe not persecuted, where they will keep you to task, they will talk about your life, but it will also be the Gentile court. So he's saying that even in a religious place, there might be people making it difficult for you, and all the more so, it can happen when we are in the world or the Gentiles, which then represents the world or the people that's not saved for today. And uh, Jesus warns that it can happen at any place. Now, Jesus said that the world hates him. He also said that you might be treated in the same way. And Jesus, uh, just before they finished the Last Supper, he mentions how it is different for him because he's not part of this world. And the world will hate him. And the same will be for us in, in that sense. Now, he says the Holy Spirit will help you. But has the Holy Spirit been poured out at this stage? The Holy Spirit will still be poured out in a few days to come. So the Holy Spirit is not yet there. But that is the promise that Jesus is giving to his disciples. Um, the Holy Spirit, or there were some people who was filled with the Holy Spirit. In the beginning of Luke we read that uh, John was filled with the Holy Spirit. John's father, who was a preach, and uh, John's mom as well, when Mary went to her for the first time, she was filled with the Spirit and then she started prophesying about uh, Mary who was carrying Jesus. So that's the only people, well, in Luke mentioned, who was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was still to come. Um, but Jesus says, in that very hour when you have to open your mouth for His sake, the words will come from the Holy Spirit. We have the task to know our Bible or to have a basis where we can work from. The Holy Spirit will help us to give us the right words to say in that. But it doesn't mean that we can just be doing nothing and we hope that the Holy Spirit will give us words from above. We need to know our Bible in a sense. Um, now, when we were reading Fox's Book of Martyrs, it was either someone in Fox's Book of Martyrs or maybe it was a story that uh, we heard of a lady, a young lady at the same time. Um, that person was going to die at the stake for their faith. But the book or the story goes like this, is that that person was able to answer from the Bible for every single question that was asked. Every single time there was a question, that person was able to quote a verse out of the Bible to give them an answer for what they wanted to find wrong with that person. And that person was able to defend themselves. And still died at the stake, but they were able to defend uh, that, what they were standing for. And I believe that is the Holy Spirit that's giving them the ability to think about the verses at the right place. And that's why I'm saying, when we are memorizing our verses or the list that we have, do that with a, with a full heart and motivation so that when you have to stand up for what you believe, then you are able to do so. Good. Now that sums up the first section of uh, this uh, passage of uh, Luke 12. The second section is in the right attitude towards material possessions. And I think this is a, a difficult task. I know that Jesus spoke much about material possessions. And for the young people, maybe it is not that big in your life yet. But I think for our older ones, uh, 
um, it can be a big temptation for us to fall into this. So let me read for us a verse 13 to 15. It says it's the parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator among you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possession. So Jesus quickly moves over then to material possessions. It says there, a man interrupts him. So this is pointing that the people standing around Jesus and his disciples probably heard what Jesus was telling the disciples. And then that man interrupts him. Now, um, this man did not remember what Jesus was just talking about a few verses before, which was not to worry about this life, but to worry about what's going to happen in the life thereafter. Um, and he didn't listen to those principles of what will get him to heaven. Now, it says that in the Bible times, I read somewhere that the inheritance was not divided up equally among the brothers. There was honor given to the firstborn, in a sense where the firstborn would get the best, or maybe even more than what the second brother would get in the family. Some people say that the firstborn got two-thirds of what the inheritance was, and the other brother only a third. And this man was asking Jesus now to come and uh, interfere or to help with that. And uh, Jesus' words was about commitment and trust in God in the previous section. And like I said, this didn't affect this man. You are still, even with Jesus present, when Jesus was talking about things of eternal value, he was still thinking about the material possessions, uh, which we should take to our hearts and take heed of that. Now, Jesus says, take heed and beware of covetousness. And Jesus now uses this chance when the man was asking the question to speak to everyone around him that could hear. Now I'm confident that he's not only talking to the disciples, but he's talking to everyone present. And Jesus is immediately pointing to the greed and the covetousness that this man has in his heart. He says, one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. And uh, Jesus mentions this here, but then as he goes down into this, uh, or Luke 12, we read more about the teachings of Jesus in terms of the um, abundance of the material things and so on. And then he continues with the parable of the rich fool. Uh, now, I'm not going to read for us this parable. I think this parable we hear quite often, the parable of the rich fool, which we get in verses 16 to 21. Here we read of someone who has plenty, has worked all his life. He has too much to fit into what he has. And then he asks, what am I going to do next? And he decides, no, let me, let me break down my bonds. Let me make bigger bonds and let me gather up more and store up more and uh, this shows us that this man put his trust in his own abilities, in what he was able to gather, and I doubt <coughs> whether his trust 
was really in Jesus. He focused all his energy just on gaining material possessions. Then Jesus says, but God said to him, Jesus is speaking, but he says, but God said to him in this parable, fool, for tonight your soul will be required of you. And he uses that word fool to, to point out what it is if we are just working to get things on earth together for ourselves. Now, if we look in worldly terms, someone who has big barns and he can gather up much and he is able to sit back and relax and have parties to celebrate what he has, we will probably see that as success. And in worldly terms, that is uh, defined as a, as a success. But his energy was only put into this. And his treasure was not something that made him rich towards God. And I think this parable was given to us uh, to ponder about the things that we put our time in. It is important for us to work, to labor, and to become rich towards God, and not only for the things uh, of uh, this world. Um, nothing can fulfill you now. This man, we're happy to sit back and have a party and think about all the things that he has. He probably didn't have much worries because he was just thinking about material things. But there's nothing on this earth that can fulfill you. You are going to need to have your, tr your trust in Christ if you want to be fulfilled and uh, full. Now, I am not saying that this verse is saying that we should not work for wealth. Please, it's good for us all to work. You need to work to be able to provide for your family. Um, Jesus said that someone who's not able to provide for his own family is worse than an unbeliever. So please, don't, don't take the opposite of what this passage is saying. This is merely just to warn you about greed and to covet things uh, that you don't need in, in excess of. Now, the next warning comes from Jesus, and he says, we should not worry. And I think if you are intertwined with the things of this world, then it's easy for us to start worrying and we sit at night and we think, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? And Jesus is giving us uh, guidance here to say not to worry. Let me read for us uh, verse 22 to 23. The heading here is called, Do Not Be Anxious. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Then he talks again about the ravens and how they are, uh, uh, how you are more worth than the, the ravens. Now, how often do we worry about daily things, like the rent or the food or what we're going to eat? For the mothers, we worry about our kids. I think as fathers, we do that as well. We worry about what people will say, what we have what people think about us. And uh, if we're not focused on Christ, we can very quickly turn to that and that can consume us. Like I mentioned, if we're just chasing money, we're going to have lots of worries. And uh, compare that in your heart with how often do you think about your own soul and where your soul is going to end up. And how often do we think about the souls of others? Do we worry more or do we think about What's going to happen to the souls of the people around us? 
Now, greed and worry are closely related. We want more, we worry more, and uh, that's just one big snowball. Now, verses 24 to 28, he gives us many reasons why we should not worry. And we know this again. It's the ravens and the hairs on your head and uh, uh, the clothes that that you're going to wear. He talks about the grass. It's looking beautiful, even though that grass is going to be put into the fire. He says you can't add a cubit to your stature. Now, just for interest's sake, a cubit is this distance here from the end of your elbow to the tip of your middle finger. He says, we as humans, we can't change how tall we are. There's nothing we can do about the way we are. And we don't have to worry about these little things uh, uh, in our lives. Now, (coughs) Jesus continued to then point us to his kingdom and his treasures to take our mind away from the treasures of this world. Verse 29 to 31, I'm going to read for us. And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. These things is the, what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to wear. And your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and all these things, the things we just read about, will be added to you. Now, he is not saying here again that we do not have to work to look after ourselves. It is good for you to work. You must look after your family and after yourself. Um, But the news that he's giving here is simple, which is, do not hold on to the things that's here in this world, but your heart should be longing towards things that has eternal value. He says, for after these things, the nations of the world will seek. And that is a contrast to what a Christian's life should be. We should not be like the world, which is just running after material things or the things that we can get here now. But our heart should continually be pointing towards Christ and the love that we have for him and what we're going to have in eternity. The people of the world, they will run after things that they lust and they are driven by the desires. As Seth used uh, to say, he says, we are driven by our stomachs or the impulsive decisions that we make now. And what what we want now is greed, to fulfill ourselves and to to get that uh, quick fix. Um, But he says there, seek first the kingdom of God. And uh, I think as a Christian... This is what should be part of our everyday life. If this is not at the top of your list, if this is not what you're thinking about, then you should go look at your heart and uh, maybe repentance and ask for the Holy Spirit to work with you. Um, If you just think for yourself, how do you start your day? How do you treat your husband and your wife? Um, Do you honor them? Is that, uh, in a way, that is uh, kingdom-minded? Um, do you seek to perform at school more than your desire is to know the things of uh, the kingdom of God? Um, or do we worry about our health more than we worry about what's going to happen to us when we die one day? Jesus is saying, 
we should not focus on these worldly things. We should ponder about the kingdom of heaven. It says here, and all these things shall be added to you. Now, these things, like I say, it's mentioned in, in that same passage just before. Um, it is a promise for heavenly treasure. You'll see now that Jesus is going to start talking about heaven and eternity and where our heart should be. It is that in terms of us wanting the highest purpose that can be for us. And that will be to be in fellowship with Christ one day. Um, but we take from this promise that he will also look after you in the things that you need. Now, it is not to say that you should, from this passage, take it that you're going to have lots and lots of things. This passage is merely saying that you don't have to worry about food. You don't have to worry about what you're going to wear. That will be provided to you by the Father. And the Father is going to look after you in terms of that. If I can put it plain and simple, God is in control of whether you're going to have sufficient to make it through the day. You might not have abundance, but this passage is promising us that you will provide so that you do not die of hunger. And you do not have to be ashamed because you will have clothes around your body. So it is not only for eternal things, it's also now while we are here on earth in that little passage. Now, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What is that word in front of Father? It is your, your Father's good pleasure. Now, here we know that he's definitely speaking to the disciples. And if we are trusting in Christ, then it is the same for us. Your Father. Jesus was not saying my Father there. He was saying your Father when speaking to the disciples. Um, now, it is the same Father for us all when we are believers. Kingdom, in this passage, refers to eternity with Him, with Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. For where your treasure is, your heart will also be. And here, Jesus is pointing us directly into what the next part of the chapter is going to be about, or the next section that is uh, coming up. And this is your attitude in regard to Jesus' return. Now, this is the, the last uh, little bit that I'm just going to talk about. This is number three in uh, my sermon. is the attitude that you should have in regard to Jesus' return. Um, the first one I'm going to call that, be ready and waiting. Now, that we see in verses 35 to 40. Um, uh, I'm not going to read that for us. It is a little bit of a, a bigger uh, thing. But Jesus talks here, and you yourself be like men who wait for their master. Now, as Christians, we're all anticipating that Jesus is going to come back one day. We do not know the time. Jesus also, when he was walking the earth as a man, Jesus as a man did not know what that return will be for him. Um, it is the followers of Jesus who is not greedy or worrying, but they are putting their focus on Jesus and when he's going to return. We should be longing for that. And this is something that is worth putting our lives into. Now, in the previous passage, he was talking about preparing for his kingdom and uh, where the effort should be. 
And uh, us as uh, Christians should definitely have our focus uh, towards that. Jesus is nicely following this uh, passage through from the beginning where we should just uh, get to know him. Don't worry about the things. You are going to be prosecuted. And now he's ending off this, this chapter or this part of the sermon or what the people can hear about that which is most important. And that is the kingdom. Now, last week, for those that were present, you can remember that Seth talked about the longing that Jesus has to be with his believers. And then there's something that he said that must happen. For you to be with Jesus, what must happen on this earth? Yeah, you must die first. Jesus is longing for him to be with his believers. And for us all, we're going to have to pass through that which we call death before we can, uh, can uh, be with him. But still, when we have that same longing to be with Jesus as the longing that he has with us, then we will not fear death. It will be easy for us to go through that. We don't know how it's going to happen, but the aim is still to be with Jesus. If you don't have that longing in your heart to be with Jesus, then uh, you need to pray to the Holy Spirit <coughs> to give you that, to be with Jesus. And uh, you need to spend time in your Bible and uh, yeah, talk with other believers, but it is good for you to cultivate that longing to be with Jesus. If you have love for him, that longing will be in your heart and you're not going to mind to pass through death to get to him. Now Jesus talks here about let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And uh, this idea or what he's trying to say here is nicely explained in the NIV. The NIV says, be dressed, ready for service and keep your lamps burning. Now, to be dressed means is to be ready, to be able to move, to go out of the house. And the lamps is uh, talking about the light or the light that we as Christians have in uh, this world. Uh, be ready for the hour is coming and no one knows it, but we should be expecting that. Uh, continuing then in verses 41 to 48, which is still part of that same passage in your Bible, it says we must be good stewards in our master's absence. Now, Peter asks a question here. He's asking Jesus if the previous part, that verses 38 to 40, if that is just for them or is it for everyone. Now, Jesus doesn't answer Peter. He doesn't tell them, yes, that passage is just for you or this passage is for everyone that can hear us, that's around us. But Jesus answers this in a way that everyone can benefit from that or the ones that is uh, listening. And uh, the point of that is just to be ready for your master. Not uh, delaying. This person was uh, eating and drinking. Maybe he was drunk. He was beating the servants. But he was not behaving in a way that is good for the master to see. And uh, that is for us to reflect on the way we live our lives, what we do with our time, and uh, we don't know when Jesus is going to come. And this parable is pointing to that so that our lives will be holy and uh, uh, unto Jesus. Um, he will come when he's not looking for his master. He's saying that his master will come back when he is not looking out for his master's return. And uh, we should not be like that. This parable is just pointing towards that. 
the servant did not prepare himself. And that is in contrast to what we should be doing as Christians. We should be preparing ourselves for the return of Jesus. And that return, we don't know when that is going to be. Now, in uh, verses uh, 57 to 59, which is basically the end of uh, Luke 12, (coughs) it is uh, about knowing the end times and to get right with God. Now, if you did not listen to anything that I said today, please listen to this little part or the warning that Jesus is uh, giving us. I'm going to read verse 57 to 59 for us quickly. And you... Do not judge for yourselves what is right with a question mark. As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge. And the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer puts you in prison. Prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Now, Jesus... Um, mentioned just before about interpreting the times and he was making this example of you see the clouds are coming up in the one side and then you know it's going to rain or the wind is blowing from the opposite side and then you know it's going to be a warm day. I was uh, working in the Western Cape at a little place. When the wind starts turning through 180 degrees, we all know it's going to rain the next day. And uh, it will just be part of what life is. When the ATC uh, starts telling us that the wind is now um, veering in a direction, then we know the bad weather is coming in. Jesus was putting this in the Bible or showing that the people were able to determine how things work in the world very easily. And then he comes and he asks that question, why even of yourselves do you not judge what is right? And here Jesus is asking the multitudes to now look at themselves and to use their minds and their logic to think about what is coming next. Anyone who can judge what is right can see the importance of getting right with God before he comes as a judge. You can't wait until you have to appear before the judge because then there will be someone opposing you Jesus is talking here about making every effort along the way to settle with him. He's giving us this passage as a warning that we, while we are on this earth, it is possible for us to make right with God. He's putting that directly opposing to just meeting up in court when it is too late. But Jesus is saying we, while we are on the earth, we can make things right before we get there. Now, at the time of speaking, (coughs) Jesus was still going to die on the cross. The disciples did not yet have that where they know they can believe in Christ only for their salvation. But the words are in the Bible given for us so that we can use that. We know what happened. We know what is the only way to salvation. We know we have to put our hearts in Christ. He says, here also you cannot save yourself. You shall not depart from there till you have paid the very last mite. Now, once you are in prison, how are you able to go out and work for money? Once you are still there, but you still have debt, there's no way for you to go and make 
that money. And here Jesus is pointing to the fact that the decision that's going to be made by the judge, the father, is going to be an eternal decision. Once that is made, there's not going to be an option for you to come back to then quickly find work or to find a way to make it right with the judge. The debt has been written up and it's not possible for you to go back and uh, to um, fix that. So just like heaven, hell is also going to be eternal one day. And that is mentioned in other parts of uh, the Bible as well. So that's an extremely important uh, part and uh, we can make right now. When you are reading through Luke again this month, when you get to that, do some introspection. Look into your heart for that. Now that is what I wanted to mention. I'm just going to read for you in conclusion Philippians 2 verse 14 to 16. It says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you might be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in this world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And here we can see this is a crooked world. We should labor and we should work and we should keep till the end so that we will make it into heaven one day. Now, I'm really enjoying uh, this part that we are reading in Luke. I hope that uh, today I inspired you when you go back and you continue reading that you will ponder about these passages. Um, try and see for yourself how, how Jesus on purpose put the words in an order where he's talking about the little things or the things that, is, things that we worry about but that Jesus always pulls it back towards salvation and that which is important. Now Jesus was a wise teacher and uh, it's able for us through the Holy Spirit to understand that the works that he's uh, given for us. We are reminded to settle before we're going to be in front of the great judge one day. And uh, let us work for things that has eternal salvation. May we never put our trust in ourselves, in what we can do and what we can achieve as people. But may we always look towards Christ, who is uh, the Savior for us all.